Looking to be accepted by God? Well, we have some answers for you next. Join us. So how can you be accepted by God? Well, obviously, as we've worked our way through the book of Romans here, it's been quite clear, the gospel. It is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we find acceptance by God. But here in chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, we see the outworking of all of that. It's proof, if you will, that we have been accepted by God. Join us as we examine chapter 15 of Romans together as we continue our series called Epilogue. From Valley Bible Church here in Hercules, our teacher and pastor, here is Pastor Phil Howard. Romans, the final arguments of his doctrinal section. After this, he's going to tell us his missionary itinerary and greet the saints at Rome. This is the final argument in the doctrine. We begin 15, 1. We who are strong... The first time Paul includes himself in the category of the strong. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's who he's referring to, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. That's from Psalms 18. 49. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you people. Psalms 117, 1. And again, Isaiah says, Isaiah eleven ten, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. And when you say nations, that means Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How to be accepted with God, how to accept other people. His whole argument from chapter 14, 1 to 15, 13 is how a Jew-Gentile church can get along together, how people in the weak category, which most likely were the Jewish people living under kosher law, 
living under Leviticus rulings and uh, just dietary issues that they brought from Judaism. And now in the church, they don't realize the sheet has been let down out of heaven and God doesn't care what you eat. They're still being obedient to Moses and Leviticus. And they're not weak intentionally. That's their whole life orientation. Here these Gentiles who have never had dietary laws to start with, never read Leviticus in their life, they're in the category of strong through no virtue of their own. They're strong not because they're big, theologically deep people. No, they, they just said, we've been eating pigs for a long time. And all of a sudden, we're in the category of the strong because we get all these liberties. But it wasn't because we came to it theologically. We've been eating this way all of our life. So now he's saying, I don't want you guys to be in any fight judging one another. And he wraps up here in three things I think we want to look at as he concludes his argument about how we accept one another, how we treat one another. And he says, first of all, I want you to act like Christ in this matter. Verses 1 through 7. Act like Christ and let him be your model. Don't choose anybody else in the church but Christ. The moment you pick anyone else, you're going to live subhuman Christian life. He is the model. It doesn't matter what the others do. Christ is. Sometimes Christ, we've been afraid of the liberals who always says Christ is our model. He's our example because it was kind of a good works religion model. He's not your model for being God. You'll never be that. But in some places, he's said to be the model. First Peter 2, he's the model for how to suffer. And here he's the model for how to accept people. You want to be like Jesus. And if someone could leave your presence and say, I feel like I was with Christ, you're getting it. You're getting it. Instead of, I feel like I was with one of the Pharisees, or I just felt like I was with one of the most judgmental people I've ever met. If they sense that in you, you're a thousand miles from acting like Christ. I don't care who you are. A fallen woman felt welcome with Jesus. Little kids felt welcome with Jesus. Lepers felt welcome with Jesus. Why don't people feel comfortable around us? Because we don't act like Jesus many times. We act like the bigots we are. We act more Republican than we do Christian, more Democrat than Christian. What does the party have to do with the way I treat you? Christ is my model, right? What, what about women? How, are you a chauvinist? Well, you, you haven't hung out with Jesus much. You can't stand women? You need to get over it. Children? You actually think there's a place for children in the kingdom? There is. So, he's going to tell us here, uh, let Christ be your model. And let's find what he says. Then he's going to go in verses 7 through 12. He's going to say the model says do two things. Be accepting of people and be a servant to people. Wow. Uh, and we'll look at that. And then finally, he really utters a prayer. But I call it, uh, if you want all that God has, you've got to learn verse 13. It's the gateway to everything God wants to give you for joy, peace, and hope. There's one little key to having it, and he gives you the key in verse 13. Uh, let me say something today uh, about the matter of uh, the last, I would say, 20 years at least, the pop psychology movement that has taught us uh, self-love, self-love, 
self-esteem. Uh, you got to love yourself. Uh, you got to look out for number one. Uh, that whole movement is nowhere taught in Scripture. Scripture always assumes you think too highly of yourself. What you really need to do is be humble before God. Now, here's the classic. We've got an abused girl. The girl has been abused in the home, sexually, mostly, however. That's a classic case. Uh, and by maybe a father or stepfather. So, pop psycho, you cannot introduce God to her as father because all she'll see is her earthly father. Not so. Not so. What you got to do her, to her is say, you got to love yourself. You need three years of therapy that says, you're great, you're pretty, you're beautiful. The gospel says, you've got to tell her that one of the members of the Godhead died in her place to introduce her to the father she never had. That's the way. Not a pop psychology. I'm pretty, I'm nice, I'm, I'm good, uh, I'm really good. You know what? Talk to yourself all you want about how great you are whether you admit it or not, you need a significant other to tell you your value. You need somebody else to say, you're wonderful. You could say it all day, and you know you're lying to yourself. But it's when one other person, that's why mama looks good. She's been deceived ever since you were born. She thinks you're great. That's part of the deception of mothers. That's why we love them so much. I will believe in you on your worst day. I bore you. I love you. There is nothing. I love my little fat Irish mother. 5'2", 210 pounds, and don't mess with the kids. Don't mess with the kids. No, you do not. It's a good thing she's in heaven. She'd smack you right now. I've never seen my dad hit my mother, but I've seen her hit him. See, I love it. And if you don't have that, it's not reading a bunch of self-image, self-esteem, I'm good, I'm good. No, why don't you give them the gospel that says God has done more for you than any earthly father could ever do, even if he was semi-perfect. God sacrificed his son for you to make you his daughter, to make you his son, and there's no abuse in this family. There's nothing but acceptance. There's nothing but forgiveness, healing, and worth. He tells you, you're worth a son to me. You're worth my son on the cross. I put that kind of value on you. I said you were worth giving up my son on the cross. That is an overwhelming worth statement. Now, uh, in our day, I think of, let's look at some things. In the last days, he said, the great perils of our day will be what men love and what they don't love. He said, they'll be lovers of self. That's called uh, narcissism or humanism. I have fallen in love with what I am. It's all about me. I'm number one. I'm the best. I'm the smartest. Then we've got people who said they love pleasure. Well, what's that? Hedonism. They love money, materialism. It, what counts is the money, honey. Uh, you got to have the money. Uh, not lovers of God. And then all of a sudden we come to this verse. It said, if you're strong, the way God wants you to use the strength is to use it for the benefit of the weak. And he gives another word, the weak and the powerless. This world runs on this. 
It's really, we're inherently evolutionist. You were built with the evolution Darwinian theory in your fiber, which says this, the fittest survive, the best has the right to dominate. That's why a thoroughbred good evolutionist could never condemn Hitler. Kill six million Jews, the fittest survive. If we're smarter, if we're tougher, and we got more armies, you cannot morally indict Hitler if you're a good evolutionist because that's the way it works. Whoever's the strongest gets the most. Whoever is the smartest gets to rule over the ignorant. Whoever's got the biggest army gets to dominate the weak because the way of the world is you want to be the smartest, the wealthiest, the strongest, and baby, you put the others under your thumb. That's Gentile world power. And all of a sudden, God sends Messiah into this kind of a competitive world. And he says, the way to greatness is to come down from a throne to a manger. The way to greatness is to take omnipotence and get weak enough to die on a cross. Is to come and empty yourself and become poor that others might be made rich. You see, as long as you pursue happiness, you'll never find it. You won't ever get it. It's going to elude you. But when you're willing to die to your selfish ambitions, when you're willing to die to all the self-life and willing to be spent for others and spent for God, he gives us two models here. God gives us the model of Christ is the way to treat people, and he gives us the encouragement of scriptures. Watch what he says. We ought to help the weak and not to please ourselves. Each should please his neighbor. Now, if you just stop there, that sounds like flattery. But he's not talking about flattery. Please your neighbor for their good and for their building up. What had been going on, this fighting over what you can eat, what I cannot eat, certain days, they were demolishing one another with a critical spirit. So he says, we've not been called to demolish our brother. We've been called to build him up. So do what pleases them in this good sense. What is edifying to them? What is for their good? So that's the way we're to be living, not for ourselves. Then he gives this example, and he quotes right out of Psalm 69. For when Messiah came, Christ he bore the insults that were intended for God. He said, I let them fall on me. And of course, he let our sins fall on him. So Christ is the epitome of not living for himself, but living for the Father's will. Not coming to get any gain for himself, but put their sins on me. It's not about me. And when Isaiah begins to write about him, in Isaiah, really when you pick up the suffering servant passages, Isaiah 46 to 66, he says, write Isaiah and call me God's suffering servant. You mean God rides in town and he shows up in a virgin's womb and he has to be run down to Egypt to keep from being killed and his inauguration day and coronation, they have to ride him on a donkey? Where's the white stallion? Where's the army? 
Where is the angels of heaven to kick the Gentiles out of Judah and to take over? I am Messiah. No Gentiles running me. He comes into town and he said, Father, I'm going to bear everything men hate about you. I'm going to bear the insults. Bring it on to me. And everything you hate, Father, about sin, put it on me. Now, can you imagine if this Christ is the model for our behavior of how we treat one another, how we could ever live for ourselves, to please ourselves? And then he goes on to say, by the way, the scriptures encourage this kind of living. And he begins to tell us that the scriptures say, uh, encourage us. Watch this. For everything was written in the past, was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's an interesting thing. He's going to say God is the God of hope in verse uh, at the end of 4 and in verse 5. But one of God's means of giving us hope, one of God's means of giving us hope is the Scriptures. And, you know, the early church had no New Testament. All they had was Genesis to Malachi. They only had the 39 books of the Old Testament. All Bible studies were Old Testament books. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We don't study the Old Testament enough. Are any of you reading the Old Testament? Good. I just finished Second Chronicles. And I thought, oh man, Second Chronicles. Have you ever read Chronicles? How many ever read Chronicles? Not San Francisco, but <laughs> the Bible. I mean, man, every page is just talking to you. Then I just read Ezra and Nehemiah, and I thought, here's doing my devotion job. I think, man, I can't wait to get the New Testament. Nehemiah has, have you ever read Nehemiah 9, his prayer? Oh, oh, I couldn't get past the first three verses, and I'm broken. And his prayer, what prophet is that? Man, that's five, six hundred years before the cross. Let me say some things about Scripture, just a little side note. His main point isn't about the Scriptures, but he says something. There's five things I want you to underscore about them. Um, they have a contemporary ministry. Things that happened and recorded 700 years ago, they speak today. And uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, when he's quoting Old Testament verses, he uses the present tense. Today, he is saying, and it's a present tense. Wait, wait, wait. That, that's describing Israel in the wilderness at, at Marah. Uh, he's describing the rebellion. He said, it speaks to us today. Let me tell you, from Genesis to Revelation, the scriptures are one of God's, is what God's primary means, I think, today, of talking to you and encouraging you to live like the Christ. And they have this value. Study Malachi. It will speak to you. It because all scripture is profitable for the man of God. Not the Jew, only the Jew gets it. No, all of God's people, no matter where they're living, all of scripture is designed to talk to them. So I said, it has a contemporary value. Second, it has varying value. When you read Chronicles, go a little bit quicker when it gives all the names of the priesthood. Don't take that for your life's verse. Pashur is the son of Urbani and Urbani. You know, come on. 
It has, Jesus said there are weightier matters of the law. So there, there's some scripture that has lighter value as far as, you know, you get a list of names of the priesthood. Okay, it's there. It's inspired. But it, it probably won't help you too much today. So you read a little bit quicker through there. Get to the narrative. So scripture has varying value. It has Christ's focus. If you read Psalm 69, you may never see Christ there. But here Christ is, and Paul is bringing this right over four to six times in the New Testament. Psalm 69 is brought to refer to the crucifixion of Christ. So look, I mean this. When you read the Bible, you do this. You just get rid of your prejudice. And when you go there, you say this to God. Let me see Christ. Because according to 2 Corinthians 3, when unbelieving Israel, an unbelieving rabbi, reads the Bible, he cannot see Christ because there's a veil over his eyes. Which veil is taken away for us in Christ? So, when Israel for 1900 years have read the law, they can't see Christ. I'm afraid too many Christians read and don't see Christ. You say, we get man-centered. I need a verse today to help my marriage. Well, I, don't, I hate to say this. The last thing on God's agenda when he wrote this was give you the best marriage in the world. You may have a chaotic marriage and still go to heaven. You see why James Dobson hasn't had me yet on his program. I mean, it's nice. It's nice. We want it. But I find most families are messed up some way. They got issues. Every family's got issues. Things back there we wish hadn't happened. Man, my sister Hazel's over last night and told me of one of my great-grandfathers, how he poisoned his wife. What a wonderful thing to be related to him. And, you know, just wonderful. My great-grandfather poisoned my great-grandmother. Isn't that wonderful? But man, do you believe in depravity? You haven't seen my family tree. It's depraved. There's everything back there you don't want to meet. Wow, glad they passed on. The scriptures have a Christ focus. Then he says they have a practical purpose that scripture will encourage you and give you endurance. I've, uh, if you want to be an encourager, you ought to get full of the word and not poetry. You'll never be a real encourager in the church, Christian encouragement, until you get full of Scripture. Because you can say, Pastor, stay in there and and stay with it, and we're we're praying for you. That that feels kind of good. But I'll tell you the ones that just drive it home. By the way, I was reading the Word, and I'd like to give you a promise. Boom. They quote a verse. They speak right into me. I went out with two discouraged pastors about two weeks ago. And at lunch, God just quickened me with some verses. And I just spoke to this guy's life. And I just started quoting scripture while he wiped his eyes and wept. And God infused strength in him because the words of God encourage. The words of God make you want to endure. Make you want to keep running. Keep going. Keep going. That's why you ought to be full of the word. Saving the best for the last. And we're taking a look at the epilogue of the Book of Romans. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. And we thank you for joining us today. 
As we close out our time together, we would remind you that copies of the broadcast, as always, are available for your review at your convenience or to pass on to friends and loved ones, maybe even make use of in small group settings. Now, we also have the entire eight set, that's 47 sermons on Romans. The series is available for a gift of $100 or more. Or if you would just like the series that we're currently in the middle of, simply entitled Epilogue, that is available for a gift of $15 or more. Now, here's how to contact us if you would like these resource materials or others that we have available. You can reach out to us by phone at 855-833-9864. Again, 855-833-9864. Or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. Suite 278, and we're here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Also, you're welcome to visit our website, valleybible.org. And if you visit the website, you'll learn more about us and who we are. Also, the other resource materials that we have available for your growth in Christ are all found, again, at our website, valleybible.org. And we would also remind you that this broadcast is presented daily here on KFAX as you come alongside and partner with us. As a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift, and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil. It's our weekly video devotional. And again, it's all for being a TFT sustainer. Whether it's $5 a month, 20 a month, or whatever the Lord lays on your heart, there's no gift too small or too large. Again, we rely on listeners to continue the ministry here on KFAX of Truth For Today. So please consider that as you contact us toll-free 855-833-9864 or as you stop by our website, valleybible.org. We do take secure donations online, and again, that's at valleybible.org. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.